Please, please open God's word with me to Luke chapter 2 this morning. And we will be reading through this passage as I'm preaching through this passage this morning. Luke chapter 2 contains a, a very, very familiar story for most of us here today. We all know this is the, the good news story about God the Son's incarnation. The story of Jesus, God the Son, taking on flesh as our substitute and as our Savior. And, and I want this, this morning to be, I think something that would prepare you for what you're going to celebrate this week. I want this good news story this morning to recapture our hearts and renew our minds. As we look at this Christmas story, I want it to remind us that we should be amazed by God's grace every day, not just on this holiday. Luke tells us why we should be amazed every day by the story of Christmas here in this text. Luke chapter 2 tells us that the good news story of Christmas, the good news story of Christmas, number one, reveals God's sovereignty historically in verses 1 to 5. The good news story of Christmas reveals God's sovereignty historically. And secondly, the good news story of Christmas reveals God's sympathy physically in verses 6 and 7. And thirdly, the good news story of Christmas reveals God's mercy to the unworthy in verses 8 to 11. And then, last but not least, the fourth point is this. The good news story of Christmas reveals God's glory powerfully in verses 12 to 20. The first thing Luke 2, 1 to 5 reveals is that the good news of Christmas reveals God's sovereignty through the fulfillment of prophecy. Through the fulfillment of prophecy. The good news about Christ's incarnation reveals that God reigns over mankind's history. He is sovereign over our history. It's revealed to us in this passage. Look there at Luke 2. We're going to look at 1 to 5. Here we're going to see that God controls the actions of men sovereignly to reveal his redemptive story. In verses 1 to 5, we're going to see that God sovereignly directed the actions of a pagan king, Caesar Augustus, to accomplish his ultimate purpose in fulfilling the promises he gave to Micah in the Old Testament. Listen as I read 1 to 5. And let this... Be fresh to you this morning, though it's a familiar text. Let it be a fresh reminder of God's sovereignty over man's history. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went there, it says in verse 5, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, Caesar Augustus didn't just come up with this idea on his own. 
Caesar did not know that he was God's pawn. That he was doing what God had ordained that he would do to bring about the glory of his own name, not Caesar's name, through this registration, through this, this decree that he sent out that people should be registered and come back to their hometowns. God was controlling all the events of history to fulfill his sovereign plan of redemption. That plan was to bring Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem according to what Micah 5, 2 through 5 says. Look with me there. Micah 5, 2 through 5. Micah is right after Jonah. This is the prophecy that Caesar Augustus had no clue that he was fulfilling, yet this is exactly what God said would happen, and it came to pass through God sovereignly reigning over this king there in that region. Verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days, speaking of Christ. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. God was sovereignly reigning over history to bring forth the Prince of Peace according to his plan. Church, the the good news story of Christmas should remind us that God rules over the thoughts and the actions of all men to bring about his redemptive plan. Nothing happens by accident on this planet. It's all going to culminate in the praise of Christ's name in the end. Even every knee on earth will bow. Even those who are against him now, they will bow before him and declare to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace and the Lord and Savior of sinners. The testimony of God reigning over history is seen also in the book of Acts chapter 2. There's a testimony given by Peter there on the day of Pentecost in his sermon, about how God was reigning even over these pagans to move the world in a direction that would accomplish his ultimate purpose of redemption for his people. In Luke 2, 22, Peter in his preaching says this, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, As you yourselves know, this Jesus, notice this part, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite or the determined plan and foreknowledge of God, the prearrangement of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He says this was determined by God. This was a definite plan, though there were the hands of guilty men involved in it. God was reigning through it. To bring about our redemption through Christ's incarnation. Now that's, that's good news to know for us. It's good to know that God will accomplish what he has determined to do. Even though it may seem impossible. Our redemption seems impossible. 
But with God, all things are possible in regards to redemption. He brings the dead to life. The same God called a virgin, Mary, to carry his own son. The same God called Joseph to return to Bethlehem through a pagan king. The pagan couldn't stop God's plan. He could only follow God's direction. The same God called his own son to be delivered up to the cross by evil men because God himself had already determined to call sinners like us to redemption through Christ's incarnation. Luke is a reminder of God's sovereignty here. Luke reminds us that the good news story of Christmas is that God leaves nothing to chance regarding man's salvation. God acts In history, he intervenes in time for our good and for his own praise and glory. Now, that was my first point. Let me move to my second point. It's found in Luke 2, 6. Luke 2, 6. In this passage, we see that that God's glory is, is revealed through his own divine sympathy that's expressed in this passage. We'll see that the good news of Christmas reveals God's sympathy through the display of Christ's physical humility. What we're going to see in this is that God has given us some really good news. The good news about Christ's incarnation that tells us that God has come to us personally, that is physically, himself, in the person and work of God the Son. Look at verses 6 And seven, while speaking of Mary and Joseph, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, a feeding trough, because there was no place for him in the inn. When Christ came, he came physically. He was born physically through this young woman named Mary. He came miraculously as she was a virgin. But he came himself. God himself came to us. And he was was born like most of us. He sympathized with us. He was born in poverty. He was sheltered in humility. If you look at his birth... The greatest king of kings of all. We see no pomp and circumstance. We see no lights and banners. We see no Christmas trees, right? There was nothing here but sympathy on display for God's people. We see a family like most of our families. that can sympathize with our struggles. This just tells us something, I think, about God's nature. He cares about us. He is sympathetic toward his creatures, his people in particular. Six and seven show us that that Christ came in humility. He he added to his deity humanity. He he never lost his deity. He He never quit being God. That would be impossible for him. But he reserved his glory for a time in the future. And he put on the cloak of humility, the cloak of a servant. And he came to be revealed to us to show us God's sympathy personally. 
Isaiah 53, 3 says that Jesus, speaking of Christ there in prophecy, it says he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He sounded like many of us, did he not? He was a man physically like us, yet his sympathy was not like our sympathy. It was divine. He cared about not just our physical suffering. He cared about our eternal suffering. That's why he came ultimately. The good news of Christ and Christmas, his incarnation, reveals to us that God himself took on flesh to feel our sorrow, to feel our grief in this sinful world. He he came here to know exactly what we are going through. He was rejected by God in our place. He became our sympathetic high priest, our sin substitute. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a tree, to save us because he loved us. He humbled himself to this degree to personally deliver us from eternal sorrow and bring us to God's throne of grace. Is this not astounding? There's no gift under your tree today that can equal this. There's no gift in all of our homes that can equal this. This is the gift that God himself gave. Christ himself came and took on flesh. And he was tempted at every point. And yet without sin on our behalf for us. So that he could bring us not to a throne of judgment, but to a throne of favor. That's that's God's sympathy made manifest physically. God is not a, I've said this a thousand times, God is not a distant deity, right? He came to us personally. Though we can't comprehend him fully, he came to reveal his glory and his truth in Christ and through Christ. Luke reminds us of that in this Christmas story. Luke reminds us that the good news story of Christmas is that God shows sinners his sovereign power in history and his personal sympathy in Christ's own humility. There's no way to quantify how humbling this was of of Christ. The humility he experienced is beyond human understanding. I mean, I can think of illustrations, and they all fall short. It'd be like a man becoming an ant to sympathize with an ant den. That's, that's not even close, because we're both creatures. Christ is the creator who came to show us something I truly believe about God himself. And as a consequence of his coming to show us God's glory, he saved us from our sins to show us God's sympathy. Now go back with me in Luke 2, verse 8. Here we'll see my third point. The good news of Christmas reveals God's mercy through his choice of the unworthy. The good news of Christmas reveals God's mercy through his choice of the unworthy. The good news about Jesus' incarnation reveals that God seeks and saves the unworthy, not the righteous but the needy, the lowly. This is so astounding to me that this is here in this text. It shows us again uh, what God's heart is like and who he seeks to be worshipers. He seeks those who know that they are sinners, 
who knows that they have nothing to offer him but the sins that they have committed to say, I need your cleansing. They are beggars. They know this. Those are the ones he came, came to save. We see that in verses 8 to 12. We move from Jesus' humble birth and obscurity to see that the first, the very first people, human beings, to hear the good news story about Christ, the very first, were outcasts. They were rejects. They were unworthy sinners in Israel. Unaccepted by the culture. Unaccepted by the religious establishment. They were just Dirty shepherds. Look with me in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel, singular, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now, the, the angel wasn't glorious in and of himself. He was a reflector of his, his Lord. He was just a messenger. But when he showed up, God's glory was manifest. Verse 10 says, And the angel, the angel, one, said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, shepherds, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now this is completely radical here. These men had no way of feeling a part of Israel or of the covenant people because they were considered unworthy and and rejected. Yet the angel of the Lord says, your savior, he's here. He's arrived. This is good news of great joy. And he's saying this. Luke's writing this in the context of writing to Gentiles. This is a pretty astounding truth. All people, meaning not just Jews, not just ethnic Israel, but all people, Jew, Gentile, black, white, rich, poor, male, female. It's amazing to think about this. In in verses 8 to 9, we see God's mercy being announced to the lowly shepherds. Again, these men were, were considered outcasts in Israel's religious society. They were considered outcasts because these men were simply separated from the religious activity of Israel. They couldn't be there on the Sabbath because they were with the sheep in the field watching over them. And as a consequence of that, they couldn't come in to get cleaned up before they come to church. They were unwashed. They were incapable of obeying the religious ceremonies because of their duties. And they were considered, therefore, unworthy of salvation. They put them out. They didn't think about the shepherds much. But I'm glad that the great shepherd considered the unworthy, right? I think this is good news because this is talking about people like us. This passage tells us, I think, some astoundingly good news. It says that the Savior of the unworthy has came. That's great to hear. This passage says that God chose to reveal his good news To all who know that they are unworthy. That's really what he's doing here. These men had no, um, they had no delusions of grandeur. They, they had no idea that they were, you know, upstanding people. They knew they were rejects. They knew they were downtrodden. They knew they weren't part of the establishment. They knew they, 
They, they were separated from God. Yet God comes to those who know they are unworthy. He doesn't reveal his good news to those who feel self-righteous or worthy. He only reveals his good news to those who have been illuminated to their need. Look with me in Luke, a little further in, Luke 18. Even when we think about Mark's gospel and Matthew, we can think about when Christ himself said he didn't come for the healthy. He came for those who are sick. And what we know about man's depravity is this. We're all sick. The heart is deceitfully wicked. We're sick from the inside out. So when Jesus says he's, he's coming for those who are sick, that's good news for us. But the people who think they aren't sick, it's bad news for them. Because in their self-righteousness, they are condemned. They don't see a need to repent. They don't see a need to cling to Christ and his works rather than their own. We see that illustrated here in Luke 18.10. Jesus gives an illustration here. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, an upstanding religious man, right? And the other, a tax collector. Okay, this is a man who is completely despised by the Jews. A man that was hated. A man that was treated like someone in the mafia. The Pharisee, in verse 11, standing by himself, prayed a self-righteous prayer. Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. <laughs> he puts him as under extortioners and the unjust and the adulterers. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off, he didn't even come near. He would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says this in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, declared righteous, judicially, legally, rather than the other, the self-righteous man. For he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now here's what I know about this. This man's perception of his, his nature, a sinner, that didn't come because of his intellect or his education. It came by divine revelation. God illuminated his eyes, his heart, so that he could see how great his sins were and how greatly he needed a Savior. The Pharisee said, I do everything right. You're keeping a tab on all my good deeds, and you know I'm better than others. And Jesus says that man will not be justified by his actions because he doesn't see that even his good deeds on his best days are, as Isaiah said, filthy rags before a holy and a righteous God. Only those who know they're unworthy can see the glory of the incarnation. Why we need a substitute. Why it's astounding that God would take on flesh, not to give us an example, but to become a savior of sinners a substitutionary atonement in our place, living the righteous life that we are commanded to live yet fail to live, and then dying the death that our sins deserve, separated by God from God because of our sins. 
he stood in our place condemned. God's mercy can only come to those who see their separation from his greatness and his holiness because of their sin. Mercy comes to those God illuminates by his grace. I'm glad that the good news of God's mercy still comes and illuminates sinners' hearts today, aren't you? It's amazing to me who God chooses to be the recipients of mercy. He chooses those that we probably wouldn't choose, right? The not many noble, you know, the not many outwardly impressive. But he chooses to show sinners the greatness of a Savior named Jesus Christ, his own son. Now, that's amazing to me. In Luke, further in chapter 2, Verses 10 to 12, we see that, again, it's God who came to save these shepherds, these social outcasts and sinners like us. He, he came in verse 10, according to what it says there, to bring the good news for all the people, including the Gentiles. That's what he's talking about there. And then look at verse 11. It says, unto you, even you, you shepherds, you social outcasts, you religious rejects, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Rescuer, the Rescuer. If you would actually look at the Greek text, it's the one and only Rescuer of sinners. Who is he? He is Messiah, the Lord. He is Christ, the Lord. Look with me at Isaiah 9, verse 6. Let's see who this is that came on that night. And was testified to by this angel to these shepherds. This is who it is that came. This is who arrived. This is who Christ the Lord is according to Isaiah's prophecy. For to us in verse 6 it says for to us a child is born. That means he was born in humanity. Humanly. To us a son is given. Speaking of the son of God as to his deity. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called, notice, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Speaking of his Eternality. This everlasting king, this one who's called everlasting father or protector or head or chief, is Christ, they said. The Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one that the Holy Spirit set apart to be your sympathetic high priest to intercede on your behalf. This is your eternal king. Those of you who know that you are unworthy. He came to set you free. To protect you forever in his love. These, these shepherds are in shock at this point. And we should be too. This good news is for sinners like us. Our Savior came to live for us. A life just like ours. He faced sin and the temptation of sin, that is, all through his life, yet he overcame it. He never gave in to it. At every point, he overcame in our place. As a child, as a teenager, as an adult, he overcame for us so that his, his life 
Not just his death, but his life would be imputed to our account. He went from living for us then to dying for us. And this should astound us. He didn't just live the righteous life we were required to live. He died the death that we were required to die. He was put upon the cross in our place. And yet think about who it was that was there. It was the Lord, fully God, sustaining the entire universe as he hung on a cross. Yet at the same time, he's bringing peace on earth. Personally and powerfully, physically, through his death in our place. Now, when we read the text in Luke, what you begin to see is this. This did something to the shepherds. It excited them. It moved them, not just in their heart, but even physically, bodily. I think these men were excited by the good news story. So, so as, I, as I approach that thought, let me ask you this. Are, are we excited by this story this morning? Are we moved by this mercy and this personal interaction that God has with us through Christ as he comes to the unworthy? Are we motivated to share the message boldly as we'll see the shepherds do here in just a moment? I think we will be as we contemplate this, especially this week. I think you're going to find opportunities this week when you gather with your family to testify to the true meaning of Christmas. And I would encourage you to do so. As we look at verses 11 and 12, as it sort of concludes, you can see that the angel, again, it's very important that you notice this is singular, only one angel at this time. He was declaring this amazing message, this announcement to the shepherds. And and it's obvious that he he knew that this would move them into action. So he says, let me get this good news to you, but let let me tell you where you need to go and give you a sign so that you don't, you know, just wander off haphazardly. I want you to go specifically to the right place. So the angel gave them a sign. And you know, this would happen if you're excited about something. If you don't have really good directions, you would just be scattered and you wouldn't know where to go. And you're just kind of going throughout the the world telling whoever you can about the story. But the angel wants them to go specifically to the manger to see the Lord of glory physically. So in verse 12, he says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And and don't you know that that had to be given as a very direct uh, instruction? Because if if an angel showed up and told you that God has taken on the form of a human and he has arrived on the earth and he is the king of kings, he is the Lord of glory, he is the savior of sinners, go find him. You would go look for a palace. You would go look for a castle where a king would reign. You would go look for someplace impressive. And so the angel says, but look, look, let me tell you something about this Savior. He's, he's humble and meek and lowly. And he came for those who need him most. And he's just like you. He's lying in a feed trough in a cave wrapped with some cloths to, to make him warm and prepared for this cold world. Just thinking about that is just astounding. Jesus Christ, God, creator, sustainer, author of all things, in a crib, sustaining the world, preparing to die 
From the time Christ arrived, he was on the path to the cross. That's why he came. And this baby knew that. But yet he was fully human at the same time and had to go through the stages of life like all of us so that he could sympathize with us. But then for my, my, my next point, my fourth point, my last point, I want you to notice what happens after the angel tells the shepherds this great good news, gives them the sign. We can see there in 13 and 20 what happens next. Let me read that to you. After they hear the message, verse 13 says, And suddenly there was with the angel, singular, a multitude of the heavenly host, that is, angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this very thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. To us. They say, We've got to go tell people about what this news means and how it came to even the lowly like us. And if you go down further, it says that in verse 16, they went with haste, urgency, and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. In this passage, Luke's telling us that this very announcement of the good news transforms those who hear it on earth and in the heavens. It reveals God's glory in a very powerful way. God's, God's mercy being delivered to man incarnationally produced joy on earth and in the heavens as we see in that text. Think about this for a moment. The good news of Christmas reveals God's glory through heavenly beings. God intervened. God came near. Then God sent a host of angels to testify to this publicly before these shepherds in a very particular way through singing God-exalting praise. For God is the author of man's redemption. God alone is to be praised. The good news about Christ's incarnation reveals that God deserves all praise and glory on earth and in the heavens. Look at verses 13 and 14. I love this. It's such a subtle thing in the text, but not if you were there. You're, you're listening to this angel tell you this astoundingly good news. And then all of a sudden, verse 13 says, and suddenly, what? And suddenly there was with an angel, what? A host of angels. Suddenly a multitude of angels appeared. And you guys have seen like Star Wars, right? Star Trek, and they jump to light speed. You see all those stars flying at you. It was better than that. Way better than that. These angels appeared 
The glorious hosts of heaven that are before the Lord of glory all the time they came to earth reflecting his greatness. Just picture this. All of heaven stands at attention when this good news message of Christ and his incarnation is declared to sinners. They are brought to full attention. Whoa, what is this? The angels wonder at our salvation. They showed up at this revelation and they announced this with songs of praise to God for the creator and sustainer of man is also the author and the finisher of our salvation. And he has came near. At the pronouncement, the very pronouncement of the good news. Notice the heavens open up with praise. The heavens are shaken by the announcement of the gospel. If the heavens are shaken, we should be shaken. The heavenly hosts sing, Highest glory belongs to God who came to save those with whom He is pleased. In other words, those whom He favors. Those whom He has granted grace to. They receive, they receive peace through Christ's work and through His divine intervention. Church, that's the good news of Christmas. And God, in the giving of His Son, gets all the praise, all the glory, because He is the one who is doing all of this. He didn't send Christ because we were begging Him to send Christ. It's quite the opposite. We were shaking our clenched fist in His face as enemies of God. Yet, He loved us in spite of our sins. And for the sake of His name, He sent His Son to declare how great His grace is towards sinners. Now, in verses 15 to 20 there in Luke, we see what happens when the, the shepherds hear this. They, they can't contain the good news message. 15 to 17 tells us that the shepherds never hesitated even to obey God's command to go. Go into all the world, if you will. Go specifically to this family and see this glorious thing that I've done. But listen, they can't just go to that family. They tell everybody along the way. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. These guys are so excited. They're grabbing people on the way. Listen to what the angel of God has said to us tonight. This is who is here. These men left immediately to go on their mission. They were excited. They were driven by this joyful anticipation of their Savior's birth. This is a great example, I think, of the power of the gospel at work in those who understand it. We don't have to manipulate you to go out and do evangelism. We have to preach Christ and him crucified for sinners. That will produce evangelism. That will produce joy in the believer and obedience to the Savior. Because it's a willing obedience, a joyful obedience, a joy-driven obedience, like we see with these men. These unlikely outcast missionaries were willingly and urgently sharing the gospel with all those they came in contact with because they, they knew that this long-expected Messiah had arrived and he chose them. They were amazed by his choice. He chose us. It's not just that he came to us. He called us to go to the world. We became his ambassadors. Well, it really, I think, blew their minds. It should blow ours. 
This long-expected Messiah that was prophesied about in the Old Testament, in Micah 5. He wasn't just merely a man. He was the God-man. This truth should rock our minds and our lives. God himself shows up in human flesh for us. That's what motivated these men. It's what motivated their joy and their boldness. Let their testimony this morning encourage us to share our, our gift, our message, like them, boldly and joyfully all the time, not just at Christmas. Look at verse 18. Notice what it says here. All who heard their message wondered at what the shepherds told them. Do we still wonder at this message? Are we still in awe of the good news Christmas story? Does it still move us to obedience out of gratefulness? That's what's happening here in 19 to 20. All who heard wondered. Mary herself wondered. The unworthy (laughs) shepherds, they were certainly caught up in wonder, love and praise. That's what this message will produce in those who are saved. The message produces glory to God in the heavens and on earth. Church, when we declare the good news with joy like these shepherds, it will still do what it did then. It will bring God praise. And that is our great desire as Christians. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him now and forever. Church, when When we contemplate that we were once like these shepherds, we will be moved to great praise for God's grace and Christ's incarnation. We who once lived in darkness and were separated from God can now sing with the holy angels of God. We can sing that God is worthy to receive honor and praise and glory now and forever because Christ Jesus humbled himself And took on flesh to reveal God's great gift of love to sinners like us. He did this. God had a purpose in revealing his love. He did it so that we could understand who he is. He did it so that we could see his unwavering sovereignty. His unequaled humility. His unbelievable mercy and his undeniable glory. And I pray that is what you see. This week as you contemplate the good news story. I pray that it recaptures our hearts and renews our minds. As we rejoice over what the world cannot understand apart from sovereign grace. Yet we have the privilege of declaring to the world through sovereign grace. Let's pray that we will do that faithfully and joyfully this this week. Heavenly Father, today is your day. These are your people, saved through your grace, secured by your love, promised to be kept through the righteousness of Christ so that we could declare the good news story, not just in the future, but now through the joy of that is filling our hearts when we think about the incarnation of God the Son, Jesus, 
I pray that you would give us a fresh view of your work this week. Renew our, our hearts and our minds, I pray, so that we would, we would not grow familiar with this story without being moved by this story. Biblically, spiritually, and emotionally, and obediently. You have revealed your saving work, God, personally to those who needed your mercy, the unworthy. And you have promised that you would keep us sovereignly through your grace. God, I can't think of anything else that should motivate us to be your ambassadors and declare this message without fear, but with rather with great joy. Be glorified, I pray, God, this week as we intentionally spend time with our families telling them the true Christmas story. In Christ's name.